Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Whether you joined us online or in person, welcome. Let's exhale. There's all the toxicities and ruminating automatic things weighing on just our hearts today. Things that might distract us from hearing a living word that might really be able to add value to our lives and change it. And bring it to the feet in the house of God and inhale the promise of the presence of God that transcends every resistance, every setback, every delay, every brokenness, and make us whole. We're going to start reading Jesus Listens for this year from Sarah Young. And so this is our prayer to the Lord this year. My living God, <clears throat> as I begin a fresh year, I rejoice that you are continually working newness into my life. Because you are doing a new thing, I must not dwell on the past. I refuse to let last year's disappointments and failures define me or dampen my expectations. This is the day for a fresh start. I know there are no limits to your creativity, so I anticipate some lovely surprises this year that stretches out before me. Lord, I receive today as a precious gift from you. I realize that the present moment is where you meet me. This is the day that you have made, and I will rejoice in it. All God's people pray. Amen. Let's put this picture up here. A few decades, not a decade, a few, uh, one decade ago, actually. I wasn't married that long. Married two decades. Uh, to celebrate our 10th year anniversary, we headed to Europe. And for our first, first voyage, uh, we stopped by Paris. And one of the most memorable places we visited while in, in Paris was a historical market called Red of the Children's Clothes. Now, I tried to practice that in French, but it was hopeless. Uh, supposedly, so I gave up. The name, this name was uh, a Christian orphanage before the French Revolution. But now it's become a historical marketplace. And the market lived up to its hype because it was a buffet of goodies that you can find in the streets of Paris, the best it, it offers. And so we got incredible pastries. And you see here uh, bread. We got the baguette. That's Nathan when he was five. 
He was so cute. What happened to him? No, no, he's still cute. Sort of. Um, but, um, we, you know, we stopped by the chocolate station and, and all of that. And, of course, we saved the best for last. We ended up, for the end of the day, at the poultry station, which is, of course, the most important to get our meat, cured meats and all that. And there was a really popular organic chicken line. And we got in line, and it was really long because it was really popular. And I kept telling the owner, please, I need more sauce in the chicken. So she was putting more sauce in the chicken and more vegetables. I, you know, I wanted really moist. I wanted to enjoy it. And I didn't realize that in this market, they charge by the pound. And so I ended up paying $10 for the chicken and $40 for vegetables. And so while walking away in shock, I kept asking my wife a rhetorical question. How much for the chicken? She goes, $50. I said, how much for the chicken? And she was getting annoyed because I asked her how much for the chicken the whole day. I was still in shock. And so at near end of the day, uh, we, before to feast, uh, on this chicken and all the goodies we got uh, with the nice view of the Eiffel Tower in the backdrop, someone tripped. And I saw in slow motion the chicken falling to the ground. Then immediately my wife, like an NFL tackle, <laughs> like she was playing in the final game of the Super Bowl, dived before and saved the chicken. I know my wife didn't want to hear how much for the chicken we wasted but here's the point if you really want to understand what someone truly values watch if they jump on the phone if you really want to understand what someone values you don't have to look too far it's actually hidden in plain sight Look at what they do. His behavior reveals both the highest and the truest form of one's conviction. Let me say that one more time. Look at what they do, because behavior reveals both the highest and truest form of one's conviction, whether one is aware or not. This is ultimately why actions speak louder than words. I don't want to know, if I really want to know you, I can hear you talk about the things you believe and I believe, but that doesn't necessarily tell me who you are or what your convictions are. I have to look at what you ultimately do. And so in many ways, axiomatically, our behavior is our highest form of belief in disguise. It doesn't matter if you take a vow or make a promise your promise is only good as your character. So, Jane Austen speaks to this in Sense and Sensibility appeals to our common sense, right? She, what did she say? It's not what we think, tell someone think, or intend. Tell someone, it's not what you think or intend, but what you do. 
It's not what you think that defines us or what we intend to do that defines us. It's what we do that determines who we are. So as we come to this series about ruthlessly eliminating hurry, which is a, in many ways, a mitigating and limiting productivity, you have to really look beneath the surface of our interior lives because all this could be then is just, you know, it's all, that's, that's a nice, that's nice advice. That's, you know, that's nice to hear. I do want more intimacy in my life. But the addiction to speed and productivity is so ingrained beneath the surface of our lives that if we don't examine it carefully, what we actually value, not what we say we value or what we want to value because it's popular or because it's Christian or because it's nice, but what we actually value, you have to look beneath the surface. And you have to contrast, compare your thoughts, beliefs to your actions, to your behavior, and fill in the gaps. And a lot of times we don't even know what we truly believe because we think we believe them. And then we act in contrast to those beliefs and we're surprised. And we're disappointed in ourselves. Human beings, the homo sapien, is a little bit inflated sense of ego. We think we're a little better than we are. And so we get surprised. And so today, before we even go into the idea of reveling in unhurried time, which is building an environment, a flourishing life of intimacy with the people we love and want to love well, we have to come and examine and explore a competing values. Because I'm not talking about, I'm like, I'm not saying be a bum and be in your underwear at home and don't do any work. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. You know, just hang out with people. Don't work. Right? No, productivity is not Satan and it's not evil. I want you to, to be, I want you to hold it down a job. Okay? I'm not saying quit your job and become bohemian and live in a tent. I'm not, that's not, I'm not saying become a gypsy. That's not, that's not my point. And so when you begin to collide noble values, it becomes very nuanced. What should be the highest value? You can say, my most important thing in my life is my family, then my career. But those two values, both good. You need money to feed your family and take them on vacations. And if you have more kids, very expensive. And they have little butts. But it costs the same after two. You could even try to lie up to three, but they'll, they'll start picking on you. But they're both, both uh, noble, good values, right? Productivity, intimacy. I mean, you have like the parable of Tom Brady. It was a foreshadowing when he lost to New York Giants, right? And Eli Manning. He had the perfect season and then he lost at the Super Bowl. The whole Brady marketing campaign is perfection. But in the end, he said, I value my family life more than anything else. But axiomatically, the behavior said, no, he doesn't. 
axiomatically, his behavior says, no, I value my career more. With his mouth, he'll say that, but it didn't happen. And then you, you, all of a sudden, you get a, break in, you get a broken family. So there, there are contradictions and collisions of values. So today, what I want to do is help us to build a foundation of values. I want to build a foundation for all of us where you go, you know what? My family of origin d- doesn't have these values. I, I just kind of, you know, live day by day. I don't plan for the future. The gospel of Jesus gives you a foundation to bless not only your life, but your future kid's life and their kid's life. It's, it blesses multiple generations. I want to talk about an examination of what our values are and then what kind of foundation you can build that would bless not only your life, but across generations today. That's so rewarding, a foundation that's so rewarding that it compounds to eternity. How many people want that in our lives? Well, don't, don't be so quick. Yeah, yeah, I want that. Because when we come to values, there has to be sacrifice and there has to be real examination. So let's go to the text. So we want, if you want to build a foundation of what your values actually are, you have to explore them. And a lot of times that's confusing because we have many values that we honor. And a lot of those values are inherent and come from our family of origin. How, how we handle conflict or how we love or how we display affection. They come from and are caught more than taught in many ways. But if you come to this text, there is also a collision of values beneath the surface. Then Mary, right, took a pint of pure nard. And this is Mary of Bethany, who, this is the week of the Passover, knows that Jesus and believes that Jesus will die and rise again as a foreshadowing because she saw her brother die and rise again. And so she had more faith than the disciples because she saw the resurrection as a foreshadowing in Lazarus. And so, to prepare his burial, Mary has a value that she's displaying. An expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why? Was this perfume sold and the money given, you know, to the poor? And so here, even though the, if you read the you know, next verse, it says that he didn't care about the poor. He cared about helping himself. But that's besides the point. Let's take a utilitarian type of framework that he's using versus this opulent type of expression of love. Because when you compare these two values, what are they? Their collision of expressing opulent type of love to one that benefits one person. And Judas's argument is actually a public health lens, a utilitarian that benefits many. So it's about efficiency of currency, of value. 
And now they come to a collision course with each other. Now, if I said to Benjamin Franklin, you know, he's the $100 bill. You know that, right? He is cash money. And I gave him this sermon title, Ruthlessly Reveling in Unhurried Time, as a value. The value of creating a life that wants to be with the people you love, your family, your friends well, and the people who need your help, adding value this way reveling in unhurried time, that value of wasting time for the people you love. Benjamin Franklin would say, that's bogus. Because Benjamin Franklin is the one that came up with the phrase, time is what? Money. Time is money with an economic framework that time is money and money is time. If you're not hustling, tell someone next to you, hustling. And that's the New York way. Side hustle, side gig, do DoorDash, do Uber. Come on, you gotta hustle if you want to be rich. You want those Benjamins, you gotta be hustling. Hustling, if you're not hustling, you're lazy. Productivity, New York-itis. Benjamin Franklin would say, you're just lazy. If you want to revel in unhurried time, you're going to waste money? That's a waste of human capital. Hey, but hard work, hard work isn't bad. Put this picture up here. This is the first time in my life talking about Kobe Bryant. I became a fan after his funeral. I was actually present the last day Kobe sighted at a, a Nets game. Him and his daughter came to uh, Trey Young's game, the Hawks. And the Mamba mentality is a, a phenomenon. It's about hard work. It's about a constant quest to be the best version of yourself. And, and people talk about the Mamba mentality in medicine, in banking, in sports. They talk about not giving up, leaving it all on the floor. And that's good. That's, that's awesome. That's a good value to have, hard work. But sometimes you have to contrast the Mamba mentality to something just insane. Next picture. Let's go back to Tom Brady and pick on him for a second because I'm a New York fan. This picture was made many, many, it went viral on our internet because he looked so skinny and he looked so not well. And there was a lot of speculation about a divorce and his wife leaving when he started the season at 45 years old. Now, I get Tom Brady being the GOAT, even though I don't care about football. I could care less, honestly. Football is not my sport. Basketball is my sport, even though I can't play anymore. But I did beat Jonathan 101 for five minutes. Thank you. But, I mean, Tom Brady is 45 playing football. Tell someone next to you, 45. 
He won the Super Bowl in his 40s with another team. He's the GOAT. Okay, great. Productivity. But his wife left him because she didn't want to be around when someone was playing football in their mid-40s. And this is what I got to say. This, I mean, excuse my French. But all I have to say is, are you freaking kidding me? Tell someone, are you, freak, tell someone, are you freaking kidding me? If Danny, if Danny O, who just had a newborn, asked Minyoung, Natalie O, can, can I just walk around the block and get some Wendy's? You know what she would say to him? Are you freaking kidding me? I have season tickets with Eddie, who also had a newborn. Noah, and if he goes, and we had, we had, you know, our tickets didn't sell, and we had to go to a game, and I go, Eddie, yo, can you go? We're going to waste this money. And Eddie goes to Janice. Janice, do you think I go to the game tonight? What do you think Janice is going to say? Are you freaking kidding me? Are you telling me that in the five years of the 40s, no one in Tom Brady's life said, are you freaking kidding me? That's my response to a lot of people in this generation that say they want to put God first and do all kinds of shenanigans. Oh yeah, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to put God first in my life. I want to put my trust in God. And then their actions and words never line up. And I just go, my response is not, oh yeah, 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 directional. My no one ever said that this behavior is, are you freaking kidding? Mid-40s, I understand you're 38. All right. Okay, you won the Super Bowl. We're gonna, you said you're going to retire, Tom. Tom's like, one more. Seven Super Bowls. Are you freaking kidding? Give everybody another shot. You say you value things, but then your behavior says you don't. And that's really at the heart of change and, and changing your life. You have to find the collision of the higher value. The behavior is the higher value you believe in. And if you keep doing those things in your life, things that God is convicting you not to do, is what we call sin. And you have no one says, are you freaking kidding me? It means that you have a culture of someone enabling you. Accepting all you are, like Tom Brady's like, to end up with kids that will never have a whole family again. And for those of you know who know the pain of divorce, because you wanted to play a game and your wife went with you, to the 99 yard and you won a Super Bowl, you don't want to go out in the sunset, you want to play more? Are you freaking kidding me? We need that voice in our life before we end up losing it all. And so if you want to start a proper foundation, you have to what? You have to destroy the former. If you want God's foundation, you got to destroy your own. If God's value is going to be number one, then you have to be the last. Whatever else has to be second, not first. Today, my question is, 
how do you build that foundation? That foundation that God gives in Scripture that will bless generations forever. Not just your kids, your kids' kids, your grandkids, and their grandkids. First lesson we learn is what? Read it with me. Requires what? A sweeping, broad examination of what we truly value. Now, this is hard. This is hard because it's hard to admit that we don't value the things of God. Because we want to fit in. We want to be right. We want to admit that we're part of the tribe, of this Christian tribe. But, I mean, I just want to help you see this. You don't owe this to anyone else. You shouldn't do it because you want to fit in. You shouldn't do it because you want to be a good Christian. You shouldn't do it because of any other reason except you see the value in it. Because no one will ever be able to convince you. Because you can lie to accountability. You can lie to yourself. It's better to be honest and say, I don't value that. Because that's Judas. Judas didn't value the kingdom. Judas didn't value worship. Judas didn't value that. And even though it hurts, look in the mirror and be like, okay, this is where I am. Because we have to deal with facts. It requires a sweeping examination of what we truly value. And I pray the Spirit of God would help us grapple with this. And I just want to say this, okay? This is a lifelong. Tell someone to you, lifelong. Lifelong. If you could do this instantly in one day, why, you know, why come to church? You're like, you're like, you'd be like Yoda. You'd be the Jedi master. This is a chronic issue. Ambition, having ambition in check. Stupidity in check. Pride in check. All those things are lifelong problems. You look at every global problem, war, recession, economic collapse, all to do with ambition, greed, and stupidity and pride. They're lifelong. So if you're seduced, say you are. Be honest. Be upfront. Who cares? Because no one is going to be able to build this foundation except you. You're going to have to be able to see it for yourself, value it for yourself. But don't let it get it so far where you lose everything and your house comes tumbling down. And no one ever said to you, are you freaking kidding me? How'd you even get here? And that's, I think, what's something the Holy Spirit really wants to do this year. Don't be the same place in your spiritual life 30 years from now. And then make excuses about, well, I didn't know how to do it. I'm not going there. You know, my family of origin is like this. How can I do this? All that stuff, put it aside. It's the past. Jesus says, today, I'm inviting you to build a house with me. Amen? He's saying, I will come in fellowship with you, and lead you to build this house that will bless across generations. That's something we have to grapple with, and it's something that we're going to have to grapple with for a long time. All right, so let's move down. So, again, 
Money and productivity are not evil. Being good at your job is not evil. Being the goat, I want you to be the goat. Tell someone, I want you to be the goat in your job. I will make a poster of you at 180. The goat of accounting. The goat of lawyering. The goat of consulting. We want you to be productive. But when it comes to the collision of values, I want you to use some of that mamba mentality to your spiritual life. Everybody wants to do the mamba mentality for their job, for everything else, but then when it comes to the spiritual life, uh, no. I think I'll skip today. I'm not going to go to the gym. Well, what, 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 what is it with the spiritual Oh, the spiritual life is all about grace, right? It's all about forgiveness, right? It's all about me messing up, right? No. Dallas Willard said that God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning, but not effort. You got to put in the work. All right, so look what Jesus says in verse 7. Jesus says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always, and, and, and get this, this is opulent. Almost, it could almost sound egomaniac of Jesus. And not utilitarian. But almost even narcissistic, right? He, he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So he speaks to the very value of Matthew. Efficiency. Productivity. And so there's something even greater than that, and that's worship. That's putting God first, putting the kingdom first. Jesus says that if you want to what? Save your life, you have to what? Lose it for the gospel. And that's what Mary demonstrates. But like, you know, Mary, for me, is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because she's always causing problems. Right? The first time they met, she doesn't do the typical patriarchy of serving. And if you look at this text, Martha is like, you know, she served again. But Mary planned a scandal. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know what some of the disciples were thinking before they're more formed about, the, you know, the sexes? I mean, couldn't Mary just prepare Crocs or like Jesus sandals? For Bergenstock, I mean, you know, just, you know, wrap it, give it to Jesus when he was leaving. Why all this commotion? Why all this opulence? I mean, why, why all this drama, Mary? Come on. I mean, it, it, does it happen in John 11, 34, when Jesus wept? It's because of Mary. All this drama. Well, if you really think about it, why did she do this? She loved Jesus so much. She was beholden. She was lovesick. She was sold out. And she wanted to show it. She wanted to show it in a way that Jesus would remember before his death. Because she knew, and no other men in the Gospels knew. They didn't even believe in the cross. Mary did. So when we talk about who's a better Christian, women are usually always the better Christian. Mary knew that he's going to. She believed every word. She saw her brother come back from the dead, and then she saw Jesus weep with her. 
even though he was going to bring her back from the dead. Jesus won Mary's heart. If you look at this passage from another uh, aspect of the Gospels in Luke, it says that Jesus says, if you've been forgiven much, if you've been loved much, you will love much. Mary's been loved by Jesus, and so she sold out, and she couldn't help it. I mean, have you ever been in love? If you're in love, you're not cheap. You can't. You can't help yourself. Put this picture up. First time, this is us, at our first picture as a couple. We're 20. Yeah, they had, they had no iPhones then. Because <laughs> it was 20, it, was it? 2000, no, it was 2000. <laughs> and for our first Christmas, I couldn't help it. I bought 10 presents. So I was just planning to buy two. So I bought like a really popular perfume, something from Wang or was I don't know where they were. Vera Wang? Oh, yeah, something like that. I bought, I went to Banana Republic. I went to J. Crew, And then I was in the mall and before I had nine presents. And the 10th one I made uh, from an arts or crafts uh, Sunday school class I was teaching. <laughs> and she said that was the best present. But, but when I gave her the presents, she was like, what are you doing? I only got you one. I said, you don't love me that much. You need to repent. I couldn't help it. When you're beholden, you want to give. You want to express it. And that's the problem of many relationships in marriage. You don't, you stop expressing. You stop saying thank you. We talked about this last week. You stop saying I love you. You stop doing these crazy things that Mary did. When you love Jesus, folks, you do it. You do things that are scandalous like this in your life. But when you love little, you don't display that love. That expression doesn't come out in worship. So if you want to create this godly foundation that blesses across generations, what's next? Let's read it together. Requires what? Sacrifice. This is a, a word that millennials and Gen Z don't like. Boomers love sacrifice. But the fact that some foundation requires sacrifice because values without surrender is just diluted piety. It's just you want to look good. It's vanity. You go to the gym to work out, not to build a proper foundation. You want the six-pack, not because you want to be healthy, but because you want to be hot. It's a superficial uh, spirituality. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to help the poor. I want to help dig, you know, a well in Africa. On a, on a, here's five bucks to that. Mary really sacrificed. It cost her something. And she doesn't care because of love. When you're lovesick and sold out, that's what happens. It's a organic overflow. And one of the greatest tragedies in the American church 
in the 21st century is that I don't believe we're beholden to Jesus. I don't think we're lovesick. I think we almost, we don't even see him anymore. We're just doing religion many times. And so this is a call back to behold who Jesus is, the beauty of Jesus. Because it all starts, the foundation starts with Jesus. And if you can't sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom and pick up your cross, then you don't need to question God's love for you. You need to question your love for God. Because our love, God's love for us is settled on the cross. The question here is our love for God. We love other things, the less wild lovers. Are you willing to sacrifice? Because I want you to pay attention to this. Beliefs are not values until sacrifice. That's the incongruence of belief a lot of times. We just think them, we intend to do them, but never do it. Then they're not our values. Values never change. You'll do whatever to keep them. They, they're immutable. So to put God first, that foundation of putting God first requires sacrifice. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's true. And I'm not the one, you know, this is not novel. Jesus says, if you want to come after me, what does he say? Pick up your cross and come after me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. What do you get me? Don't forget that. That it requires sacrifice. And when you come to not dealing with just sin, but when you come to dealing with noble things, good things, competing values that are good and noble, will the kingdom value transcend it. That's the hard part of living in New York City. Not everybody's going to be dealing with drunkenness and orgies and sinfulness and going to clubs. That's not, that's not where the battle is. The battle is, is in the good values that are hidden in plain sight. And I pray the Spirit of God today would help you see this. Because that's how you build the foundation. That's how the Holy Spirit comes and changes everything about our lives. So today, will you stand with me? I want to pray. Let's be honest. It's okay to start from ground zero. It's actually better to start from ground zero if you're trying to build a foundation. A lot of us are going to have a harder time to sacrificing things if we have a whole personal empire built of how we want to live our lives. It's going to require a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. But But if you want to start from ground zero and you go, well, how do, how do I even begin? Well, that's honesty, brutal introspection and honesty about, hey, this, this is my family of origin. These are my values. I, I don't want to live these out and perpetually, systemically pass them down from generation to generation. That's going to only bring more brokenness, more pain, and it won't build anything that will last. And Jesus says today, I want you to build my house. 
with me as the foundation. Let us start with where we fall short. And examine our hearts right now as we pray. Will you lift your hands with me to the Lord today and give God everything today? Just all the brokenness, all the values you don't even know, all the pain, and all the things that just weigh you down and ask Jesus to do a reconstruction of your whole family tree. Jesus says that when you obey his commands and his values and you make it the central place in your life, it will bless a thousand generations. So today we're beginning that foundation. It starts with you today. Created me a clean heart. Let's examine. come before you this afternoon God we thank you for the example of David in this song Psalm 51 David started really well and then fell off into the most insidious mandacious example 
of a leader that could fall and lose everything and, and cost so much pain to so much people. But if this example is something, it's an intoxicating case study, a story of redemption that you could start from literally anywhere and find the hand of blessing, the hand of God in your life again. And through his line, Jesus is born. That blesses the whole world. So will you pray today more than promising by willpower to do things? Accepting the basic gospel fact that I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, and I cannot change my own life. And I'm coming to you again, God. I need you to give me that heart. That wants to follow you. Even when no one is looking. And I'm the one that chooses to do so. And do the right thing. Do the honoring thing for your name and for those around me. That's the work of the heart. And everyone here, if you accepted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. I pray that his voice would intensify. His voice would convict. And sometimes it would hurt. It's axiomatically when our words and our beliefs collide with our values. The Holy Spirit wants to fill in those gaps today. Folks, today, as we close, I want you to understand that's what worship is. Worship is not singing. It's becoming a living sacrifice. It's not looking around. It's not looking even within. It's looking up to the Father's face and seeing Him smile down at you because you're living your life. We're living our lives like He knows we can. For me, I have one picture that propels me every day to live my best. To makes me think sin is stupid. And I always remember this picture. I come from an immigrant family. My parents made a whole new life for themselves here. They passed now over a decade ago. And for my junior high school graduation, I told them they just started a new business. It was going well. They would forfeit thousands of dollars coming to the graduation. I said, Dad, it's just junior high school. Right? I mean, it's nothing. Come to my high school grad, come to my college graduation. I mean, I know someone in our church that the dad didn't go to any graduation until medical school. And then when I heard it that day, I was like, that makes sense. Because the, that ingrained productivity, even in my mind, 
No, but my parents closed the store that day. The whole day. And it was lucky that they did. Because out of thousands of students, there were three award winners for medals. And I was one of the three students that got one. And if they didn't come, I would be alone. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm proud of myself. <laughs> but let me tell you something. The look upon my mom and dad's face that day of doing something for them, making a new life. I never saw my parents being in shock like that. Like, is he, is he smart? Because <laughs> they never told me to study. They weren't people that pressured anything, but their face of how proud they were. Of how happy they were. Every day in my life, I want to please my parents. I want to, I'm going to cry now. I want to make them proud. I want them in heaven to know that their son is putting God first in the kingdom because of them. Folks, that's what worship is, is looking at the Father. Not saying, hey, Dad, can you forgive me again? Because I'm an idiot. It's not looking at the Father and going, oh God, I did it again. I know you're going to forgive me. Taking advantage. No, it's looking at the Father and saying, I want to please you. I want to make you proud. I want to reflect who you are. And it was worked so much to my parents because the person who gave me the medal was a teacher, a new college graduate from Harvard. So they might not, my parents might have never known that I would one day go there. They saw a foreshadowing. Folks, the church today, a lot of times will tell you the gospel is just about forgiveness. It's about God's love for us. It's not. It's about our love for him too. I pray today that would be the reflection of our lives. We want to please our Father. Not out of some guilt or insidious need for approval. But because we love him and want to make him proud. So will you pray with me right now to the Father? See worship that way. Don't see it as a burden. Don't see it as a, a coercive thing, as something that you're, you need to do. But it will never happen in our lives. We will never know the heart of Mary until we look to the Father and see that face. And He's proud of us. Will you tell that to the Father today? Father, I want to make you proud in my life. I want to reflect your glory. I want to reflect who you are to the world.
I know even today, there are more people in heaven that read the Holy Haunting than in earth. Because my dad is passing it out and my mom is talking to Jesus about it. Folks, as we close today, I want you to know something. There is no one more rooting for your flourishing in your life than the Father. Praying for you. Walking beside you, but we miss it. I pray today would be that foundation. It would be the start of building that foundation. Of holiness as worship, not as a burden. The kingdom as worship. Where you bow your heads for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hello, everyone. Happy Sunday. My name is Haley, and I'm a member here at 180 Church, and I will be sharing some community news with you. First off, let's talk about how we can give. If you're a member here at 180 Church, we ask that you continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully. Admission is free, but mission isn't. If you're a visitor here with us today, we, don't, we welcome you to our service and there's no financial obligation to give. But if you'd like to make a donation, you can do so with the methods above. Our next announcement is about all the ways you can connect with God and others in our community. We have our Bible reading group, 180 BRG. You can join us at any time to read the Bible and feel free to follow along and feed your soul with the word of God. We also have a number of other ways to stay connected, including our church's Facebook page, Dr. Twitty, uh, do, sorry, Dr. Sam, Sammy's Twitter page, and our YouTube page. We are live every Sunday for service through YouTube, so you can always watch and re-watch the sermon online and stay connected with us. Next, we have small groups. Small groups are a great, great way to connect with others in the community and go deeper into the message. We have various groups for different stages. Please see this screen for the times and places. Come meet on Zoom and some meet in person. If you need any additional info, please speak to any of the greeters in 180 shirts or hoodies. Next, we have resources. We have plenty of resources that are available for you to purchase at the cafe to help you connect with God daily. They're, they are also a great way to share the gospel. Now, while you're at the cafe, you can also pick up some 180 merch. It's the perfect time to pick up your 180 sweatshirt. There's a collection of sweatshirts to keep you warm and cozy, and all purchases are based on the honor system, and you can do that the same way as mentioned before. Um, okay, are you feeling burdened and in need of prayer? Take a minute to pause and pray. If you need a little extra help, you can always send an email to prayer at 180church.tv. There will be a team praying for you on the other end and everything is confidential. Finally, we are looking for volunteers to help serve in many different areas in our community. First, we have the cafe bookstore. 
come help uh, wake people up literally and spiritually. Then we have Sunday school. Come help our littlest members get to know the love of Jesus. And then we're looking for techies. So come help us build really cool stuff online. And lastly, we have greeters. Come help all feel welcome and be the friendly faces of our community. If you are interested, please see any of the greeters in 180 hoodies or anyone at the cafe and they will plug you in. Now, those are all of our announcements we have today.